What up, guys and girls? It is Bobby and Sean. Come back to you for you. To come back to you guys for another week's episode of the Cronus Cast. Apologies for that last week. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I was working 24 last Saturday, so um, I was pretty burnt when I uh, got home on Sunday. So apologies for that episode, for missing that week's episode. But this week's episode, as always, is brought to you guys by Paragraph Recovery. Use the code Cronus for 15% off. And then for military or first responder, you can hit them up directly for an additional discount. Uh, as always, Paragon Recovery, highly recommended. I've uh, been definitely relying on their night gain supplement to help me get to sleep at an early time. Yes. I've been, uh, I've been waking up at 3.30 uh, to get ready for work. So um, getting to bed at 9 o'clock uh, is kind of an adjustment for me. So helps me get a good night's sleep, wake up feeling um, refreshed, even though it's 3.30 in the morning, and then ready to get after my day as a doctor. And because he's using all of the Paragon Recovery tools that he's been pushing now for the last couple of months, uh, he did not incorrectly put a dude's arm onto his leg. So surgeries are going well thus far. I think that's a, anecdotally speaking, that is a good uh, case study for why you should use it. I've been using it um, just because, like, I've been really restless when I've been sleeping after, like, all of the workouts. Mm-hmm. And, like, I'm sleeping so soundly, like all night i'll have dreams sometimes i never have dreams i never dream but like i'll dream on this stuff it's great yeah that's the big thing that i noticed too uh i just thought that was me but like i usually don't remember my dreams but when i take paranormal recovery or the night game stuff i get like pretty vivid dreams like not necessarily good or bad dreams but like pretty vivid dreams where i'm like holy shit it's kind of this is a wild dream yeah you you definitely remember it um but uh, real quick, uh, before we get going on today's stuff, today is uh, July 12th, um, and uh, unfortunately, two years ago today, uh, 1st Ranger Battalion lost Chris Solis. I just wanted to do a quick segment on him. For those of you that had the privilege of serving with him, uh, knowing him, uh, or calling him a friend, uh, Chris was just a phenomenal Ranger, did incredible things in the 1st Ranger Battalion. Uh, I had the privilege to serve with him on two deployments, once as a battle captain, um, and then my last deployment with regiment as a PL uh, when he was the jock in CYC. He was just the most professional individual I've ever met, and I literally never saw him without a gigantic smile on his face. Uh, Incredibly positive, did phenomenal things for the breaching course at Hunter, uh, went out of his way and made sure that every single ranger was always taken care of, would always find time during the jock shift, the subsequent shift, to help cover down for dudes during deployments, was getting after it in fitness uh, all the time, did some awesome things when he got back from that deployment and taking over uh, different leadership positions in the 1st Ranger Battalion and, and had an incredible future lined up for himself um, at 175. Uh, and two years ago, you know, on, on a mission um, he paid the ultimate uh, ultimate price and, and laid down his life uh, for the Rangers and for the individuals that he was serving with. Um, just wanted to do a quick shout out to you know all those at 175 that served with him, all the Rangers at the other battalions that you know had the privilege of serving with him and knowing him uh, throughout his career. Uh, just a, an absolutely phenomenal individual and someone that like each and every day when whenever I'm putting in like hard work or whenever I'm feeling down or out, I always just remember you know guys like Chris. 
um, and and what they've done for the United States, what they did for the organization, and it's like it, it gets you through and it gets me through some some tough times. So um, just want to say that you know uh, Chris is always in our hearts, uh, and uh, it, you know it was just a complete privilege to to serve beside him, uh, and he, he was an incredible ranger. Yeah, rest in peace, uh, Chris. I know we did a hear a lot for him a couple of years ago. Uh, I haven't put it back in the schedule in a while, so uh, I'll put it back in for next week. So we'll do a, uh, I'll put the Chris um, Harawad in for next week's programming. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, shifting off, you know, into kind of, uh, you know, stuff that's been going along now uh, in the world. What's it like up there in Seattle with, uh, with COVID and kind of seeing how the West coast is just exploding, um, you know, in different places that, you know, at one time thought they were, they were over this. It's weird. Um, you know, being in the military hospital, we don't see too much of it. Uh, I don't see too much of it walking around. I mean, they, you know, started requiring everybody wear masks, masks on public, but people don't always follow it. Getting in the whole, like the, the debates about like the political and like, you know, my rights, my freedom, my choice but uh um i don't know i don't really notice too much of it at the same time though you know one of my co-interns uh her dad has been has been on a ventilator now for i think three weeks and uh it's not looking very good for him so it's still out there you know um and it's probably closer than most people think you know i think most people you might not directly know somebody that's affected by covid but you know somebody who it, but you know, but you will know somebody who's defect, uh, directly affected by it. So just like uh, you know, it's not hard to wear a mask. It's not like inconveniencing you too much to wear a mask. And you know, you can argue about how much it actually does help prevent the spread. But I still think you know, for the risk benefit analysis, if you do the risk benefit analysis, like it's pretty simple to just wear a mask and then help prevent the spread of you know coronavirus and then. It was actually kind of wild because uh, last Friday, one of our other interns, she was exposed uh, to a one of the nurses tested positive for COVID on one of the floors. So they quarantined pretty much every single nurse on that floor and quarant- and like through contact tracing, quarantined my my co-intern. So like the pr- the program was like kind of um, kind of fr- I wouldn't say freaking out, but definitely acting drastically to try to and mitigate the risk associated with uh you know being in the hospital in covid times so we started to do uh started a different like rotation schedule so now we're doing like a week of on call then a week of uh, like elective operations and then like week off so it's, it's very interesting and like kind of different i don't know if i like it because it's like you know i think it makes it a little bit easier in terms of i'm not working as much but at the same time though you know you don't want an easy experience it's like training no. you know it's like going for it's, a tra- it's like training for deployment or like training for life like you don't want an easy train up cycle you don't want an easy training cycle because when it comes when it the, when the shit hits a fan and, it, and it, your training actually matters you know you want to be as prepared as possible you want to have seen the most you want to have experienced the most you want to have done the most so you know it's definitely like a risk benefit analysis where our pro like it's way above my head so i just do what i'm told essentially but you know you, it you, puts the lotion on its skin yeah it, that's, that's, that's what i said you know during during work i literally say it puts the lotion on the skin but you know it's a good it's above my pay grade but at the same time though like i'm kind of 
disappointed almost. I'm not really getting the full, you know, four weeks of getting shit on and then, you know, working really hard and then that experience too. So, I don't know. I'm like very mixed about um, that experience so far. Well, that sucks, man. I Some, some uh, I guess, 30-year-old died down in Texas yeah. going to a COVID party and one of the quotes that um, they – uh, they had from him was like, you know, I made a mistake. I didn't think that, you know, this would happen. But I mean, that's just like, that's what's bonkers about it with the reporting. The New York Times had a piece this morning that kind of broke down the statistics of every city um, or, you know, and then some rural parts of the country where I think they said one in 28 New Yorkers will have COVID or um, COVID, you know, like symptoms by this, you know, by the time this is over, and then they compare that to some places that, you know, they don't think it's as bad, but, you know, statistically speaking, they have more COVID, uh, um, what's it called, diagnosis, like, yeah, like per per capita than like New York City does. It's just, you know, people want to focus on the big cities, the the San Francisco's, the New York Cities, the Houston's, the Dallas's. Um, what are some other so Boston uh, isn't doing too too well, but nobody talks Seattle. about Boston. Yeah. Seattle, yeah. Well, you got you have enough problems up there with Chaz. Oh yeah, uh, that's another interesting discussion. Um, but I'll talk about that after we finish up with this COVID segment. Dude, I'm. I'll be honest. Like, I agree with the mask thing. Like, from the perspective of if we're all going to wear masks, then everything should be open. Like, I think it's a little much to ask for people to wear masks twenty four seven. If you're limiting, you know, a store to just five people per aisle kind of thing, like what Trader Joe's does, Um, if dining is only, you know, outside of the building, if gyms are still closed, like I, at some point it's like that, you know, we, we, you talked about the uh, cost benefit analysis of it and I just don't like, sometimes I'm not sure that we're doing everything that we need to be doing right now. And then sometimes I think we're doing too much. I mean, I, I've been yelled at now weekly, every single time I go around in central park, like I'm doing an hour, two hours plus every single time I run and somebody will always find an an excuse to pass judgment and tell me to put on a mask when they themselves are sitting within six feet of another person with their masks on their chin or, within six feet with their masks on, but clearly not someone that they're cohabitating with. And it's just like the, the hypocrisy is just so apparent and it's so frustrating. Like I'm so sick and tired of it. Like going to Trader Joe's this morning and waiting like 35 minutes and you know, they've got, they've got hours for senior citizens to go to Trader Joe's. Um, and then they've created like this senior citizens line before you can even get into Trader Joe's. So it makes the line almost twice as long because for every person that comes out, every other person that goes in is going to be whoever's in the senior line. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, if we're going to create like a designated shop appearing for them throughout the day, like if I'm scheduling when I'm coming here, I think they should schedule as well. Like otherwise get rid of the other line. It's just like that. That's a small kind of stuff that people say is I'm sure very trivial, but for, I think, a lot of Americans, it's, like, something worth talking about. Like, are, what kind of concessions are we making in our daily lives that are going to have impacts for our generation long after these individuals are dead? You know, like, 40, 50 years after the elderly community that we're, you know, caring about right now, 
you know, is gone, what kind of ramifications are we going to deal with? It's like, sure. but no one wants to have that conversation because you have to be honest saying that these people will die. Sure. And like, because no one wants to have that conversation, we're, like we're living in this like rosy painted picture than, than what's actually happening. Yeah. And then, I mean, like you don't want to just write off a segment or group of people as saying like, Oh, there's nothing that we could do at this point, you know? So, like, I get both sides of it, but at the same time, though, like, in order, like, you talk about, like, um, achieving herd immunity, like, you have to, you know, people need to be exposed to a certain extent for the virus to die out. And then we see what is happening right now, like, because we're opening back up and people are going back to, like, normal business without the precautions in place, that just creates a second environment or, like, a new wave for the virus to kind of recede into the population. That's why they had the second wave. Yeah. Because never, we never killed it or, like, you know, put it down in the, like, lower numbers that it wouldn't, like, transmit back in the community. And so you kind of, like, half-assed the first wave, like, the first wave and, like, kind of flattened that curve. But then it didn't go down. So then when we start opening things up, people will start transmitting it again and it just spreads, like, like you see down in Houston um, in Florida when they opened up a little, maybe a little prematurely or didn't yeah, pay enough, you know, the same thing with that. Is like we're gonna see some some deaths just increase naturally from that, but like Donald Trump has been very angered by the increase in numbers of individuals that have been diagnosed with COVID. I would not, if I were him, I, I don't know why I would be taking that approach. Like we're doing more testing than any other country, sure. Like that's probably part of it too, but at the same time, the the millions of more people that get diagnosed with it compared to the fraction of that that are succumbing to that illness, all that does is then create a narrative that it was never as deadly or as dangerous. Like, I get it. There's, like, parts of COVID that are still unknown. We don't have a cure. Like, AstraZeneca and Oxford are working on theirs, and they're going, like, into to phase three, I think, soon here on a couple continents. But if it's not then as deadly, then I think that speaks more to the did we go way overboard in this? Because if so many millions of people have COVID and it's no more deadly than the common flu, like, you know, what are we going to do every other season now? Just because this wasn't the flu that we'd prepared for in the last year or two, as we started identifying, you know, cause I think most flus have originated from the same like H1N1 strand that was the 1918 flu. Like somehow the genome sequence is, you know, a, a mirror of that and a, an evolution of that. So just because we weren't prepared for this one, like what does that mean next year? Are we Is this going to be like a regular flu season thing where we're all wearing masks if we don't specifically know exactly like what the symptoms are? Like I think it just might – it might set a dangerous precedent. I mean but things in time though like um, America is kind of unique in the fact that nobody wears masks. Like if you go to Asia – like people wear masks out of like public decency. Like if you're feeling ill, like you wear masks, so you don't spread the disease to whoever else is around you. Yeah. I wish I feel like America I should probably take a you know page from that book. Um, but I think the biggest uh, thing that or biggest issue that um, could be solved is we had more testing, more reliable testing. Like if you knew that you have COVID, then you know you probably would be a little bit more cognizant of what you're doing and right. around who you're doing it with. You know. And I think that's one, uh, that's why, like, uh, was it, like, Hong, or Taiwan, or one of the Asian countries was so good about stopping it, some, or, like, Hong Kong was really, or not Hong Kong, South Korea did a pretty good job with it, because they had opened up widespread testing, 
with like widespread contact tracing. So like if you tested positive, like they they quarantined you at home. Like China did something similar too, where it's like, you know, you can't, you don't know what you're preventing the spread of if you don't know you have it. You know. Well, I mean, it, it was like the that nurse that uh, was tested for Ebola a couple years ago, and then she broke her own house quarantine. Because uh, she yeah. was like, you can't tell me. And it's like, what kind of like what kind of person would do that? I like there's no penalty. I um, this is just like me throwing out things that I could think of that still might be uh, variables with COVID-19. Like uh, someone said, you know, we're a multi-generational, uh, you know, one out of every five Americans live in a multi-generational you know, home. I don't know what that's like compared to the rest of the world. Does that have to do with the fact that, you know, our housing is so much more expensive that young people are moving out significantly later in life? So, like, you know, that's a factor. If if the rest of the world is living on their own and they aren't living exposed to their parents, you know, 20% of a population, I wonder what impact that would have on decreasing the spread. So, like, now we're talking about the, the economic side of it. The other one, too, that I for sure without having to like go and crunch numbers that the United States leads the world on is obesity. So that definitely cannot help. And the fact that we're not talking about it at the same time that we're talking about COVID is just creating like this shield from the individuals that have underlying health conditions that are caused by them that we just don't want to be, you know, acknowledging or, you know, somehow point the blame back at them. Not to say it's your fault you got COVID, but it's, hey, if you got the flu at any time and you're this overweight, your chances of succumbing to that illness are significantly higher. So, like, that's the kind of stuff that, again, nobody talks about. I'm, I'm sure some, like, fringe elements on both sides talk about that kind of stuff. But, like, that should be a mainstream discussion. Our country is fat. What impact has that had on the spread of COVID or at least if not the spread, the mortality rate? Oh, yeah, sure. hundred percent. Like, Definitely. Uh, I mean, just from a pure scientific and medical perspective, not to like get, you know, SJWE, but being fat is not good for your body. Like it's not good for, you know, it's obesity is pretty much considered like a pre like a condition that makes you, well, obesity itself doesn't, but obesity does lead directly into a variety of other health factors that will cause a, like a, you know, negative feedback loop that cause your body to severely deteriorate. It's pretty straightforward. Like people like to say that you know there you can be healthy fat where like your blood panels and whatever look fine, but it doesn't matter. Like a fat uh, in your body, like fat isn't just fat. It doesn't just sit there. Fat is like this, um, like a hormone producing machine for body. Like fat has produces chemicals and hormones that circulate through your body that can cause you know terrible effects. Most commonly. You know, um, fat converts testosterone to estrogen. So if you talk about like breast cancer, you talk about like uh, endometrial cancer, there is a direct, I would say, I don't know like the exact numbers and exact data, but like there is a direct correlation between how fat you are and the likelihood of you you getting breast or endometrial cancer. I remember when I was on the gynecology service at the hospital and like every person that we're treating for for, um, endometrial cancer Literally everybody was fat, you know? And then if you, like, look at people in the hospital that, like, get, uh, like, really sick, they're almost always really fat. And it's not to say that, like, um, being fat is, like, going to... I mean, I you know, I'm, I don't know what I'm trying to go with there, but... Yeah, I know what you're trying to say, but, like... So we constantly hear the, the argument that, 
like you can be healthy fat like you can be an avocado like when we're talking about that though do you think that there is a an age cutoff where you go from being or displaying somewhat normal health metrics to like hey it compounded really quickly and oh, between sure. the age of 40 to 43 is when people are really going to start feeling that so like you can be young you know teenager young adult but by the time you're like 30 yeah. 35 40 43 that's when it's really going to start going downhill yeah i was at like probably like 30 like mid to late 30s probably when i started catching up to you and then you know it starts small like it starts with some elevated high blood pressure it starts with a little, like an elevated like insulin resistance you know but then quickly spirals from there like the insulin resistance then becomes diabetes and then the high blood pressure becomes kidney disease which then becomes, you know, heart disease, which then becomes, you know, all these, like, increased risk of stroke, increased risk of heart disease, like, all these other factors that play into it. And it's, it's and you can see it, like, uh, I can see it in the hospital, like, it always starts as, like, one thing, and then if it doesn't get, done, like, doesn't get addressed, like, you, like, the people just want to go, you know, take the pill and just fix it with a pill. Like, people get high blood pressure, they take the high blood pressure pill without actually addressing why they have high blood pressure. So oh, that's my next getting, question. Yeah. Like you talk about the pills because like people I, – I, I mean it's it's like it in fitness. Like a fit person too doesn't want to sometimes finish a workout or they'll take shortcuts you know, in every gym and not, not completing a workout. So I'm not saying that overweight people are at all the only ones that take you know shortcuts. But because of the amount of pills that we have in medicine now for everything and it's like if you take one pill, you're going to get you know a second pill. Do you think because of the abundance of pills – that people don't take the the proper steps to you know curb bad habits because it's just like oh I, whatever I've I've got this new pill today I I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing because the doctor says the pill is going to be good for me for you know a couple years. Sure, and I think yeah, that's definitely a part of it. I think a lot of people are just and maybe like that from a healthcare perspective, we don't really necessarily you know tell people the honest truth like hey like if you keep going on this path like you're going to die. Like I was listening to one of um joe rogan's recent podcast uh this past weekend he had somebody like a naturalist and he said they're talking about the food system in america and it's like you know the food supply system in america is kind of fucked up and that's probably contributes to obesity but what do we do for the obesity crisis we just give people bariatric surgery you know we just we just give somebody like a you know like a medical cure for the obesity without actually without actually addressing the underlying conditions now not to say that like bariatric surgery isn't a good surgery like i think that bariatric surgery is probably very ben- is extremely beneficial in people that are like you know probably like 50 or just 60s or over years of obesity like having years of obesity where they're honestly like physically can't really work out or can't really you know lose that weight and this i think has a lot really good effects in people that are like elderly or people that are older that you know whose bodies literally are like destroyed by being fat they probably can't lose that weight but this kind of gives them that jump start to lose that weight but then you talk about like someone that's like twenty years old, like that has to go on like bariatric surgery that changes their, you know, anatomy for life. It's like, are we really doing the right thing here uh, from a medical perspective by giving people this surgery? Like, are we really doing the right thing um, and giving them the best, you know, results for it? Because there's also cases of like, I'm sure I'm gonna see it more often now after like sleeves. Um, people over time like you know when they first get their sleeve they like lose a bunch of weight because they can't eat as much but without addressing like the you know the underlying psychological issues that people have with food like food addictions yeah people are just gonna eat around their sleeve and then this over time the stomach stretches again 
and people will have to get like reoperated on and get their gastric sleeve redone or go to go to a bypass surgery to, to, to fix that. So it's like people Dude, I, can. I think it's such a huge problem. Like you can go to Whole Foods, Trader Joe's. There's a couple other grocery stores around the area here, and they've got like a great selection of produce. I never see people in the aisles, and and when they are in the produce aisles, it's like they get potatoes, they get corn, like they're not getting like really good fibrous greens. And I think when we talk about like some of the obesity related, uh, you know, starters for what you were saying, like the psychological issues, it's like if you're gonna if if the health insurance industry were to change to say okay, instead of being prescribed brand X for diet suppression or you know whatever the diet drugs do now, like you're gonna have seventy five dollars a week to spend at a grocery store on these ten items, mm-hmm. and so like they develop a system by which they create meal plans for these people, so these people are feeling full. They know what they're shopping for. I've watched like my 600-pound life I don't know how many times, and everyone's diet always breaks. And then whenever they go shopping, though, it's just like, oh, I've been, I was told that I have to have like no carbs for this meal. Or I like they just tell them like these basic macros without teaching them any of the food sciences that go into it or giving them a cookbook. Like that that's the most basic thing. You can get a $15 cookbook for like plant-based foods. Like why isn't that something that that doctor is handing out to say, hey, look up the recipes in here. I guarantee you'll be satisfied with a basic meal and then walk away. So these people are just, they're they are eating like shit. It's like they're just eating bread and water. They're not going to be healthy. Yeah, I do. Uh, I will say that one of my maybe guilty pleasures is I when we go to Costco to like get our, our, you know, our food for the week or two weeks. I like to like look around and see what people are picking up, and like the other like yesterday I saw this like huge lady, and she walked by and I looked inside her cart and it was just like bag of chips, bag of like chocolates, cereal, yeah like cereal, soda, like milk. And I was like, where is like your vegetables? Like, I fucking love Costco's vegetables. Like it is so fucking cheap. It blows me away. Oh, dude, dude yeah, like it's, three it's pounds a, of spinach cold, for five dollars. It's so cold in there, like, and nobody wants to go in there because of that. But like, the asparagus is huge. Yeah, a big bag of asparagus, tons of broccoli, like, yeah. all the mushrooms. Like, I absolutely love. So, yeah, Costco sponsor us. Like, we love Please. you guys. Yeah, like you get like a two pound bag of spinach for five dollars. Like, I guarantee you, if you ate spinach for every meal you probably won't even finish that bag in a week you know you probably won't no. you have a hard time finishing that bag for one bad you can get like you know like two pounds of broccoli for like six dollars or something like that like it's just like it blows my mind like how much i mean but like you know costco also is smart in that they know that they have a much better price margin on the processed stuff so they're they also know that like, I oh think my that god they pray yeah yeah like, and we sound like total fitness snobs right now, like judging obese people. But, like, to an extent, like, with that, like, you and I both bust our ass, like, each and every day. We, we go out of our way to make sure that we're eating healthy and clean. So it's like, I, I think some people also get angered when they hear people being critical of, like, the overweight community because we'll have anecdotal, you know, examples of an individual being overweight because of, like, a thyroid issue. Like, yeah, 
that is such rare. a small percentage of those like problems. But because it's like it exists, then it's like you know you can't ask w- what the cause is for the symptom. But like I, I loved going to Costco in Colorado Springs. It was there were so many aisles though that I didn't even go through because it's exactly. all processed food. But yeah. that's where everyone goes, and you know you can get like a box of ten pizzas for like fifteen or twenty bucks, like. That's great, but you're going to be you know hungry again within 45 minutes of finishing whatever slice you know allotment you have. Yeah, it's because we're privileged, Sean, and we would be definitely be shamed for being a uh, fit privileged. Yeah, fit privilege is a it's a real thing. I don't. I think it's awful though. Like I, like everybody knows that. Like when you put in the work, and that's the other thing. People will make excuses if you're fit. Like, oh, you're on steroids. Like, I wish. Um, oh, you hate the food that you eat. I don't. I have cheat meals all the time. Like, I could eat way less bread. But for the amount of running I'm doing, I've done, like, the analysis. Like, all right, I need this many carbs a day given how many hours I'm putting into my, my cardio. So, like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, you find and you can balance and you can go and find out, like, if I want some more sugar in in uh, my meal plan, like, I'll just go eat fruit. Because, like, a couple of clementines will fill me up way more than, like, a half glass of orange juice. Sure. Yeah, so, and I think from the healthcare perspective, too, I do think that, you know, healthcare has done not has done a terrible job with educating people on uh, diet nutrition. But I think a lot of that stems from the fact that, like, doctors themselves don't really know that much about diet nutrition. Well, you said in yourself at, at school, what did they do? Like a not even a semester class, or it was it was dedicated to one three hour block. We yeah, we had like a three hour block on nutrition, and it was just like this is a gram of fat gives you nine calories, a gram of protein gives you this amount of calories. Like nobody know, like people, like doctors don't even know. Like some of the doc, some of the people that I work with, like some of the doctors, people in the hospital, are like some of the more unhealthy people too. So it's like very, it's like a you know, it's like a what the analogy is like. Um, like the Co- rock, the, the pot, the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Yeah, like, like I, I, I completely agree. Like you see so many fat doctors. Like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not gonna take health advice from you. Like, yeah, no way. I, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like we could talk about this all day because there's so many examples of, you know, shows on TV that you know, try to talk about this. And then it's just, they attack the hosts like Jillian Michaels. Um, she shit on CrossFit, uh, like pre Greg Glassman, um, issues, but she shit on CrossFit for like its methodology. And, um, but people hated her before that because like she was getting in their faces and saying like, why are we celebrating, you know, like Lizzo for her body type, you know, celebrate her for her music. Mm-hmm. And that pretty much like cancel culture her out of existence um so it's like that that's just the kind of stuff that people don't want to address the hard issues because right now it feels really good to prop everyone up but i don't know when we start paying for it with our taxes and you know there's the the costs of uh of supporting medicare medicaid and you know other uh public sponsored uh, health insurances gets more and more expensive i think people want to have that conversation yeah uh, yeah and it's just the kind of the harsh reality too like you can't have your cake and eat it too you know no and it's literally that saying literally applies to the situation like you can't have you know you know a universal healthcare system where you have people that drastically drain the system because they're not one taking care of themselves and two don't want to put the time and effort into fixing themselves like you talk about 
like prevention. You talk about primary prevention. That's that's preventing a disease before it actually happens. Secondary prevention is like preventing the progression of the disease, and tertiary pre- prevention is preventing like the like the prog- like the actual death of the disease. So a lot of the time when people are sick, you're talking about like tertiary prevention, but by talking about you know preventing the disease from killing them, what we should be talking about is like primary primary prevention by preventing the disease from even occurring in the first place, and that starts with you know lifestyle, like dietary, like you know all these other things that we know the answer, like you know what the answer is, like you know you shouldn't eat a fucking bar of chocolate, like you know you shouldn't eat this bullshit, you sh- you know you shouldn't eat pizza for every meal. But yeah, people do because it's easy, it tastes good, and they're not willing to uh, really address the hard facts. Yeah, and I'm all f- like, seriously, if you want to eat whatever you want, that's literally on you. I do not care what you put in your body. What I will care about then is when you tell me you didn't try and that like me judging you is because I have it easy because I don't look like that. It's like, for every pizza of, you know, pizza that I have pushed away from myself or decided not to eat, you know, instead for like a cup of ground beef and two cups of broccoli and a cup of rice for a meal has like, that is just a pattern that I've set. But we look at like what the root cause is and back to COVID when we have so many schools that are shut down and I feel like this will be a much hotter topic come the fall and the spring if you know schools around the country are going to be opening up. Like for a, a lot of individuals, a lot of children, you know, we 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 donated a couple months ago um, to a, a children's food drive, but like that's essentially the only place that these kids are getting you know a couple square meals a day, and if the food there can't be really regulated and in you know ensuring that they're getting a healthy balance then if they're either not eating when they're at home or they're eating at home, you know, it's probably more likely processed food. And so now in 10 or 15 years, because of this, are we going to start seeing increases in obesity as a result of COVID shutting down schools and the food programs that so many children rely on? I mean, that's just like, here's another problem as if 2020 wasn't bad enough that we have to consider for, you know, the next couple decades as a result, what kind of, what kind of society are we creating from a health perspective with, uh, with with obesity on the rise sure and it's just like there's so many you know everything's connected and there are second and third order and fourth order effects that we don't really understand and it's kind of crazy like you know a lot of people don't like to have these nuanced conversations about the actual like long-term effects of things because it's like you know donald trump bad you know covid bad like you know I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, it's too easy to just say, oh, this is bad and this is good due to politics or like the tertiary surface level or the surface level, like information without digging into. No, nobody wants, because the problem is when you have to have nuanced conversations, you get to the point where there's bound to be a policy that the person that you dislike has that you agree with or you like. And because we have such vitriol for the opposition, today and you know this this polarized uh, political climate nobody wants to have that realization nobody wants to say okay well maybe by doing this it was a good idea because x y and z occurred but i still dislike this person because of abc like that's the kind of discussions that you know really have to fuel how do we come to a center point to agree on getting things done specifically how do we create 
a safe place that doesn't take up six square blocks of a city pushing an entire precinct out and, uh, you know, generally having, I think after just a week of, of being there, two murders. So, you know, on average, more murder per capita and per square block than, you know, the largest cities in the country, like Chaz. They call it the Chop. They changed the name to Chop, by the way. Oh, Chop. Like the, like the Food Network show, Chopped? Yeah, but it was like the Capitol Hill oppression. I don't know what the fuck it actually stood for. But, uh, yeah, it was pretty that funny. That was nuts. It, I, I thought it was kind of hilarious. Uh, some of the surgery residents were actually up there at, working at, um, uh, what the hell, what the fuck is the hospital called up there? They work in the hospital in Seattle, and then they would get, they call them chop drops, because they would get drop off patients at the hospital, uh, in the trauma bay, because people, you know, would get shot or, or beat up or what have you, or assaulted, and then, um, they just wouldn't know where they came from and like had no documentation or didn't have any information. And they said that one time somebody, they dropped off some kid and the kid was like live streaming himself in the ED in the trauma bay and saying that he was being held against his will or whatever in the hospital. This is a hospital, mind you. So like, are you, you're not being held against your will. It's a hospital. You have totally have freedom to say like, I don't want to be here anymore. You can get up and leave. But then, uh, it's apparently some like armed, armed, like uh militia stormed the hospital and like took this kid and took him at, back out to the shop i don't know it's, the whole situation is bizarre that whole area became the thing that they hated like this is where we talk about like the nuanced stuff yeah so many times tucker hannity ingram like batshit crazy are just like creating this inflammatory rhetoric but then they'll come up with something like, hey, you have literally become the thing that you hated. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, Anakin Skywalker, you are now Darth fucking Vader. You put up a wall. You have armed militia that are just roaming the streets like this is Rock Assyria. You're beating the shit out of people. Uh, you're instilling fear in individuals. You're not allowing individuals to you know, enter. People are being killed on your police watch without a police force. You're calling for the... the the actual police and the hospitals to come and relieve you and to help you at the same time that you wanted to fund them. Like I, again, it goes back to the, like, you know, that the mayor of Seattle wanted to have this autonomous zone. Okay. But I think too, at the same time, they were aware that it was totally going to fail and fall on its face. And it's just like, you know what? Let it fail. Like this is going to be a huge embarrassment for the city of Seattle, but maybe this is the kind of embarrassment that needs to happen. So people don't, fall into this trap of this like really really radical political reform like no, I, I think maybe that's, that's the best thing to happen to it yeah i think that i agree with that sentiment like i'm sure the mayor and i'm sure they had this conversation like this is going to fail miserably and it's going to be you know on display for the entire nation to see that like this is not the solution to it yeah rather than storm it and like shut it down Same it's like when they tried to have yeah. woodstock 2 woodstock 2 was like a total failure I feel like that's just that's I mean because like I, you know, I have a lot of school friends up here that are far more liberal than I am, and they were talking about like, I wonder if New York City is going to have an autonomous. And I was like, oh god, please! Like we already had Occupy Wall Street, and that was such a disaster for the city because of the exact same reasons, like access to law enforcement, access to care. Um, the individuals that said they would take charge of the areas to keep it clean, to keep order, 
stopped doing that because nobody respected their authority. Like you think of a bunch of people that don't like authority have to make a decision like in a pure democracy, shit is never going to get done. Like you have to have some sort of authoritarian element, whether it's from like a republic standpoint or in their case, a dictatorship and just have someone tell you like, no, like Bobby, you're on sentry guard, go to the gate. Like that's your job here. You are not the bread maker. You are sentry boy. Like, but nobody wants to take on that stuff. And so eventually like all the rules just go completely out the window. I just, it, I can't believe that it went on as long as it did before it really just like nosedived. Pretty interesting. Pretty interesting social experiment into the, uh, you know, into argument for uh, or against anarchy and, you know, freedom, true freedom. Yeah, true freedom. Speaking of freedom, uh, I cannot wait till Stone Mountain outside of Atlanta, Georgia is like destroyed. Like oh, they've isn't got that the the black yeah. militia versus the Confederate militia right now. It might be. I'm I'm literally not even tracking like what the actual on the ground scene looks like. But for those of you that haven't been to Atlanta, it's like got a ton or it had a bunch of Confederate memorials. Uh, all over the place. Um, and one of them is Stone Mountain, where I think there's like some Confederate general's house, I think, that, that was in the vicinity that they built it adjacent to. But um, Stone Mountain, I think, has like Robert E. Lee, Jefferson Davis, Jeb Stewart, Stonewall Jackson, Hood, you, you name it, some Confederate dude. Like almost Mount Rushmore into this giant stone outcrop outside the city. And I remember going there years ago. And again, I'm a Yankee. For those of you that don't know, I'm my family's from the Northeast. Like those that were here on my dad's side fought for the Union. Like you know, so I've never enjoyed the the Confederate history. I've never connected with it. But when I went there as a kid, I was like, why is this here? So like, I am I am so happy that like people are actually doing stuff to tear that shit down. Like we're not advocating for violence, but I'm advocating for the removal of every single Confederate statue in public. Put it in the museum. I mean, Donald Trump said put it in the museum in 2016, and now he's, like, changing his tune on that. Like, that blows my mind that, you know, and the same with the posts. Like, nobody's ever deployed from Bragg and gone, yeah, I'm from Fort Bragg. It's like, no, I'm from the 82nd. I'm mm-hmm. I'm from, you know, the Special Forces. I, I'm... I'm um, um, you know, some other, you know, governmental agency that's attached there. Like nobody fucking cares that it's called brag, except the people that know that it's named after a Confederate, like change the name. Yeah, I can definitely see both sides of the argument in terms of, you know, it stands for something that, you know, we're not, it's a dark period of our country's history. And I think that it should definitely, we should definitely still hold on to these, you know, monuments, whatever, but like you said, put it in a museum, acknowledge the fact it is in our history but it like by taking these down then like it, it raises the question of where do you draw the line and i think that is a tool or a strategy used by you know maybe the radical left about how you know it is the slow destruction or the removal or wiping of sure. america's history and that sure, is where man. i kind of struggle yeah. with because I mean, Nancy Pelosi from, hasn't given a good in- answer. Joe Biden hasn't given a good answer. Chuck Schumer hasn't given a good answer. Like nobody is giving. Again, it's that honest answer. It's the hey, like we're addressing it with the Confederacy right now, 
are there presidents that we have to look at? Woodrow Wilson being like a segregationist, like Andrew Jackson. Um, I know the ruling just came out from the Supreme Court for, you know, looking at Oklahoma and, you know, how much of that land actually belongs to the native peoples. Like, that's the kind of conversation that you take to the next level. But for people to not, like, want to focus on the here and now and avoid answering the questions, like, again, it's just poor politics and and it's, like, a huge lack of a backbone in, you know, for fear of this, like, cancel retaliatory culture that we're living in. Yeah, I think that's where I struggle, I think, the most with. It's just, like, I mean, if you talk about kind of how, like, communism or, like, uh, starts... It's like you talk about 1984, Animal Farm. It starts by taking away the monuments, taking, rewriting the history books, not teaching the history, and kind of whitewashing or just taking away everything. And that's how I started kind of in China. Like, I feel kind of strongly about uh, what's go- going on with kind of the radical left and what's been going on with this side because, you know, it's the slow and incremental degradation or the slow and incremental change that is what how you get like because everyone thinks like oh we'll never become like have a communist you know government in america but it's like that's i'm sure that's what people thought in china too in the 1910s you know i'm sure that's what people thought in russia in the 1800s you know but it's that slow changing of the cultural norms and history that is how you get to that point so i don't think we're ever going to get there because if you look at china and you look at russia both of those you know modern communist empires um, rose out of you know the ashes of a world war, um, where you had the white and the red army after World War One. You had uh, in China like a completely depleted force because of Japan's invasion and the military. You know having to focus on that. Um, you know same with with Korea. So like I think the U.S. is not going to get to the point where we can't maintain a like a central law and order that I think unless that was completely eroded by like a total revolution, we're never going to get to a, an actual communist state. We can get more, I'm sure we'll get more liberal. Um, but I, I I don't ever think we're going to get to the point that we completely tear down the pillars of, you know, the, the, the democracy that we've established here. But you see, but that's like the talking heads make that point of like, you know, the political system has failed us. It's time for a revolution, you know, like, and I think you could use COVID as a perfect example of creating the political, social and unrest that kind of mm. creates a breeding ground that allows like revolution or rebellion to take place. Like, you know, if I think, you know, if COVID didn't happen, I'm pretty sure that, you know, the George Floyd thing probably wouldn't have been sparked. That seems, uh, or like, um, like Chaz in Seattle, like you don't think that, I don't think that would have happened if, you know, we weren't in these times where people are already pissed off at the government. You know, people are seeing that, you know, the government has nothing to help out the common man where they have, you know, the government instead is bailing out these huge corporations, you know, like. Oh, does, God, the, time the time report on that was awful. And it's just like, you know, I think that there is so much animosity or distrust in the government right now amongst, you know, the common people or like the average citizen that you know they're just pissed off they're angry they want to do something about it and the way they see it is that this government is not representative of them like they don't believe in the government is able to take care of them and this is how it starts by with the common man um rising up and you know in china how it started by you know or in russia like taking the proletariat 
the proletariat rising up and taking the bourgeoisie, dragging them in the streets and shooting them, you know. And I think that you like you it's it's far away from getting to that point, but you know, it is a slow and incremental degradation of the American ideals that what makes us Americans an ideal of freedom. Yeah. You know, we slow it's that slow degradation that you don't really notice until you you, you know, you look at what's going on and think, huh. Like it's not, we're not too many far, not too far steps removed away from that. Like you have police like not showing up, do their jobs. You have um, like people like blatantly disregarding the law. You know, you talk about Atlanta, like the cops don't show up to work, and then you have all these like, rash of murders and like people that, like assaults, and like this lawlessness that just that stems from the fact that you know there is people who just don't believe in the ideals that we have that we espouse in America anymore. Yeah, but I think that goes back to, like, if you have a massive no-show of police officers across the country, if you have a lack of um, government, um, you know, stepping in to, to stop the next chop from from starting, and then it crashes and burns, or you have a huge string of violent crimes, I think, if anything, that might makes the case that, okay, you do need these establishments, and so is it, all right, it's going to be like a really like bad period for the next two, three, four weeks as police officers are like, no, you don't. I mean, I think there was a South Park episode like that too, where, you know, the police made fun of like the townspeople because they essentially tried to like revolt against the police. And then, um, when the, the kids were playing, uh, ninjas and they thought they were ISIS, the police were like, oh, sorry, like can't help you. Like, is that the kind of thing that's going to be necessary to happen where people are like, okay, maybe we were a little overzealous in saying that all the cops are awful when maybe five or six weeks ago we were cheering for you at 7 o'clock every night. Like, okay, we get it. Police reform needs to happen. We're going to be fine with the police so long as, you know, drastic steps are changed to prevent immunity um, from extending to police officers that are, you know, in such gross uh, era and dereliction of duty. Like, is that the kind of stuff that'll happen where eventually we kind of get back to a normal, you know, semblance of uh, a relationship between law enforcement, society, and then, again, the rule of law? Yeah, I, I mean, yes, but at the same time, though, like, I, there is the sentiment of, you know, that if you think about, like, the cancel culture and what have you, like, hey, like, the founding fathers were slave owners, so they're all bad, like, so that that means our government was founded by slaves, that by slave owners, that means our government's bad. So it's like that talking narrative that gets created by like blm who like the founder of blm that they're all like trained marxists you know and like trained socialists they they this is like like a playbook from you know the marxist handbook is that this is how you create dissension and create civil unrest by creating these narratives of the current system is bad and that you know the current system doesn't care about the common man and it's up to the common man to step up and make these changes. And then, you know, you have these people that are leading, that are leading the common man. They're not able to create their, you know, totalitarian or communist society and vision. Yeah, but to push back on that, we've got now, what, a century's worth of, of examples of countries that have tried to do it. Um, the United States, I think, who was the dude that did it? Uh, not Babouf. That was a French dude at got killed uh oh somebody tried to come and start like a communist commune in the middle of the united states and i think he was from scotland 
and it was like a total and utter failure. Like it was maybe in Kansas or Indiana, one of those, again, one of those whatever middle states. Sure, but um, like people aren't taught like, this history though. They don't know that this is a blatant failure. Like people, you know, don't think or aren't taught this in school or don't have the, you know, wherewithal or the critical thinking to realize this is a bad idea. And it's very simple for like young students, like kids who are like 18, 20 years old, you know, fresh out of high school, they're angry at the world, they're angry at the government, they're angry at society because, you know, they've come out of, they graduated high school, they don't have a job because, you know, they are, the government has is bailing out, you know, corporations, doesn't care about them. It's just like, it's, it's a very slippery slope is the point I'm trying to make that, you know, that, pe- that people are able to prey on civil, like, distrust and prey on anger and make very rash decisions and create an environment where, you know, anger is able to expel into the streets and then cause, you know, chaos. And that's how kind of how it starts, you know? Yeah, I but, you know, again, we, we look at um, all those examples from, from history where it started for, you know, like good reasons. And if people aren't being taught history, we still have, you know, contemporary examples uh, between North Korea, Venezuela, China. And people can be as, like, positive as they want. Like, oh, it's not going to happen here. But it's like as soon as you point to examples in the United States where even on a small scale people tried to do that, I just think it's going to – like, I don't even think the liberal media would would allow that kind of discussion to happen. It will exist on, you know, the Instagram and Twitters of the world. But I, I just don't see it playing out as, as aggressively. No, but it's like maybe not in the next election cycle or the next two election cycles, but, you know, in 20, 30 years down the line, you know, what's to say that we won't get closer and closer to that reality, you know? And it's it's not like, I'm not saying that it's going to happen tomorrow where, you know, you're going to have, like, people in the streets, like, dragging people out and shooting them and calling them, you know, educated or what have you. But, you know, it's that slow degradation and destruction of American ideals, of the Constitution, of, you know, things that we are, our country is founded upon that people will try to start chipping away at. And we've yeah. already seen that kind of with, like, BLM saying, people saying that, like, you know, the founding fathers were slave owners. They were bad people because they were slave owners, you know. And then that why... Wait, wait. So, like, what... So that might... Like, I would feel that... Like, so we go to that, that's kind of like, I think the go-to, you know, thing that a, a lot of conservatives, for instance, like, you know, Kaylee McEnany is, you know, the, the talking head for the president brings that kind of stuff up. Um, I would say, like, that is the extreme. I think what that conversation does more so from like, you know, example, a law school perspective is the bar, uh, when people look at, you know, pass rates for, um, what is it, uh, black indigenous people of color, I think is like the, uh, the new, like, uh, politically correct or the new formalized, uh, to way to address individuals that, that aren't just white, that white students have like a 64% chance of passing the bar on the first time more than, you know, a black indigenous person of color. Like, and so like, what, what is that? And then you look at like the history in some states where the bar was created so that not only did individuals have to you know, have graduate degrees, have law degrees, but in order to practice law, they had to pass an additional test that was only created um, by the states in order to lessen the amount of, you know, uh, non-white participants into that field of law. 
So while it's not the exact same example, I think it's just showing how there are very clear, you know, historical examples of while we think things are good and why they were started, there were individuals that, you know, were facing this negative desperate impact from that exact legislation. And because it had just such an inherently negative evil purpose. And so that's the stuff that will change. I don't think it's going to be the you know, like fear mongering that the the right wing media you'll you'll hear on the news where they they want to cut off George Washington's head or they want to pull down Hamilton off of Disney, which is like been probably one of the best performing Broadway shows in history. Like that, I, I again, I just think people they focus on the bright shiny object, but don't see how America over time and over history has overcome a lot of these awful things that the country created based off race to create like a more, um, a more fair, equal, you know, opportunity for everyone and trying to right its wrongs. Sure. But then like, where do you draw the line for these like cases of like trying to, uh, create a way of bringing equity to everybody? Like it's like, in my mind, it's like, it's impossible to have everybody have the same outcome. You know, not everybody's equal. Now everyone's like genetically or, you know, created equal so then why do we need to try to make sure that everybody has the same results you know and having access to you know having access to resources sure like i'm with that like there's definitely ways that we can get better in terms of helping underserved communities receive more resources to help kind of level the playing field but then where do you draw the line i wouldn't i wouldn't even have to you wouldn't even have to think about like where do you draw the line if we focused as much as we do on our military, as much as we do on, like, some stupid-ass spending that this country does. I mean, like, didn't we just get, like, 10 new Navy ships? Like, how many billions of dollars did we just spend up there instead of really focusing on, like, a better, a better federal, you know, school program? You know, like, a lot of schools, the property taxes take care of um, the school's costs. But, like, if we paid teachers, like, public servants, if we made that... And I'm not, again, I'm not like saying like, we need to pay teachers like we pay NFL stars. But if you paid them a little bit more so that people wanted to go and, and be teachers and it was super competitive and it's like, okay, you're going to take the, you know, like it's going to be like the military. The top 10% of teachers get their first choice of where they go teach. And then we're going to assign teachers based on like their performance or based on their scores that we got. And we're going to send them to different school systems so that we can try to create a very good, proficient teaching community, much like we do with the military. And again, that might even be way too far for some saying that's too much government involvement. But I think it's kind of imperative when you look at some states that are so bad when it comes to you know national standardized testing. And I don't have a problem with national standardized testing. I think when people are poor performers on national standardized testing, it's because they did not get taught well or efficiently. And that goes back again to making sure you have the best qualified teachers, like teachers need to be paid more, maybe disincentivize them from unionizing because it's like hyper competitive to try to teach at different schools. And then if you want to address like the, the, the racial dynamics of this and you go, Hey, there are like socioeconomic uh, issues for why, you know, minority communities are underperforming historically. Okay. Well, guess what? The best teachers in the country are going to go there. That's where they're going to teach. And in fact, they're going to get paid more 
so that we can put more efforts into these communities to try to bring them up in the next generation or two. Like that's the kind of radical thing that needs to occur more so than like us purchasing another ship when the next like near peer threat for our Navy is like probably Great Britain or like Russia, but they're around the world and like they've got a McDonald's in their country. We're not going to war with them. Sure, sure, sure. But then like, why do you think this conversation happened? Because you think that this is like a, you know, kind of a, I guess, more progressive initiative to push, right? Oh, for, yeah, it'd be way more. It'd be like more government control. It's not happening because of federalism. Because, you know, it. one of the things that you look at uh, Article One of the Constitution, it says, you know, it really specifies you know, essentially any and all of the enumerated powers that the Congress has. Um, and those that aren't enumerated are, are left to the states. And so because of words like any or shall, it really, as it, although it seems to broaden the language of what these powers are, it actually confines it to, no, your authority stops when the enumerated clauses stop. And because of that, you know, like the states have built up a very long history of you know, state programs, you know, taking charge of education, um, the health generally, the the safety with uh, policing, the National Guard programs, even though they're, you know, they're overseen at the executive. It's like, that's the kind of thing that people don't want to give up that right, because all of a sudden you take that away from a state and the state's going, well, what authorities do I have left? If we have a national uh, health program, I mean, um, King V, was it King V Burwell? Uh, where they talked about the ACA and like one of the clauses in the ACA was like, hey, in order for an individual to qualify for uh, tax credit, they have to register through a state program. And so the states that didn't want uh, the Affordable Care Act passed or didn't want to have Obamacare were like, hey, if we don't create a state program, then people can't register. Well, then the people won't have Obamacare. And so we just won't make a state program. And so it went to the court and the court was like, no, uh, so far as we're concerned, state means like the federal, the large thing. So like it goes back to this we're we're in such a constant power grab between states and the national government. States don't want to give up their rights. Um, and that comes, I think, completely down to like Republican and Democrat. And again, people just don't want to come in the middle and say, OK, we're, we need to make radical changes to this country. Like education should be far and above the number one issue. Uh, and I say second would be health care. Yeah, I mean, like, it sounds clear and easy when we talk about it, but then, you know, then what is, and I think that's where a lot of people get disenfranchised, or dis, you know, lose interest in the government, because, you know, there are such larger issues that the government isn't maybe willing to address or doesn't want to address, you know, I think that's where this, this anger and distrust in government stems from the fact that the government, people would just feel like the government isn't looking out for their best interest and looking out for these large corporations and, you know, these big businesses that, I mean, both sides do the same thing. Like the Democratic Party is, I don't think the party of the people anymore. They're the oh, party no way. Of the other, gov- other corporations. No, the, the Democrats are awful. The Republicans are awful. Um, it's unfortunate that we've got to such a, a point where, we no longer see like what's going on behind the scenes because there's such big money controlling both parties that you can't have smaller fringe parties starting to grow and become 
you know, larger portions of the, of the country, like a libertarian party or, you know, whatnot. So, um, I, I think from that perspective, we're a little fucked because until we get new individuals into Congress, like, I mean, this is, this is going to sound radical. I don't think you should be in Congress if you're older than 68, 60, yeah, 70, maybe like 65 like, is the age of retirement for everybody else. Bounce like out like i get and again i'm like i'd be writing off an entire portion of a population but we get so stuck in the politics that they grew up in back in the 1930s when they were adults that like when are we ever going to have like the change that's necessary like i like ilhan omar um aoc like uh, there's a you know some kid that's down in maybe North Carolina, Georgia. He's 24. He's he's you know I think going to Congress on the Republican side of the house, or he's going to he's going to be the I, I think the the shoe one for the election. Like as much as I don't like some of these people that are you know now the future leaders of the party just because they they ran in a weak district. I don't think like some of them have the qualifications to to serve or lead or don't have the temperament. But, like, I think it's great that we're getting different people in there. Like, I think every single senior Republican needs to go. Every single senior Democrat needs to go. I mean, they did such a – the whole, you know, on a side note, uh, Trump v. Vance, where um, the district attorney's office here in Manhattan can see his tax uh, records going back 10 years. Like, they had a very articulated reason for wanting to see it. We've got Clinton v. Jones. We've got U.S. v. Nixon. Like, there are clear-cut examples. And then you have, you know, four committees in – Congress under the, the House of Representatives that wanted the same things. The Democrats just wanted to like really see his taxes. They didn't have, you know, they were like, oh, this is for national security. It's like, okay, well, the problem is it's a slippery slope. It's those kind of stupid actions that make people hate the politicians. It's like, get out of, you just embarrassed yourself. You have like a go-to great win for law and order for making sure that this this person, the president, wasn't engaged in illegal activities. And if he did, it'll come to light, and then you can take him you know, into federal court for that after it gets out of the DA's office here in New York. But to like go after it at the same time for like the Trump v. Mazur, like, it's awful. Like, totally stupid. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, I just think it's funny because people like to say that, oh, like, I'm a, Demo- I'm a liberal, so I have to vote Democrat. It's like... You're just voting for the same. You're just voting for a conservative with a different. Fl- you're just voting for a Republican with a different flavor. Like they're oh, yeah. so. It's just like they're, they're all. I would even say like. I mean, Trump and Biden are literally the same person with. Oh like, my god, just, like, dude! Two degrees how did, apart. How did we get here? Like, how is? And this is what I'm talking about. Joe like, why Biden. people are pissed at our government and at our country, and this is how it starts. Like, like how the politicians and the current system has failed the people, and this is how this general distrust and, and sentiment starts rising and that you know maybe like not this cycle but maybe in like a couple of cycles where people are like saying fuck this i don't want to be the like part of this country anymore like i want to change the politics or you know i'm talking like this is how it oh, starts. dude I, I love my dad and like he gives great advice like i've always listened to it advice though that i can't recall on a word-for-word basis it's usually been like sean you're in the army get your ranger tab. Thanks, dad. I like generally got that one. Cool. Or like, Hey, this is how like you respectfully treat a woman. 
thanks, Dad. Joe Biden's up there at like 95 years old going, my dad had a saying that, you know, the, the cream always rises when the apple is picked last and you have to put in a hard days of work uh, so long as you're greasing your leather shoe um, and you've always got a nickel in your pocket. And I, I've never understood what those words like, who, dude, you can barely remember what you're running for, whether it's the presidency or the Senate, but you're going to tell me a word for word quote from your father who, if he was still alive, would be 260. Like, that's the kind of stuff that, like, why are we here? Why are we here? Like, we're, mm. yeah, it's, that's it, bad. Yeah, it's just like, it just blows my mind that, like, both parties are, are fa- like, pretty much only speaking, failing the American people by, with these two candidates like you have biden who is you know never who has changed his position on so many critical issues like didn't biden like believe in segregation of buses at one point in time and it's just like it, he had some you know foot and mouth syndrome back yeah. in the day i mean but seriously here's the thing like you should be able to judge someone off of their children off their adult children not like they're you know you can't go after trump uh you know president trump's son uh i don't even know what, what his name is um, but junior? the eldest, not, not no, no, not not junior. Junior's like forty years old, and again, cat backs at three fifteen. So, like, I'll judge him for his deadlift. But like Joe Biden's son, who had no you know energy background, uh, getting paid by Burisma over in the Ukraine, um, getting kicked out of the Navy for pissing hot for cocaine, uh, essentially. You know, I think getting into law school and getting sent on a deployment specifically because of his father so he could have, like, that, I think, in the future political uh, resume to fall back on if he wanted to go into politics as a, as a veteran. Like, that is a huge red flag. Like, if, if you have a poor record as a politician and then your record in your house is even worse, like, that's awful. President Trump, draft dodger, like bunker boy like the fact that people look at him as being a tough guy blows my mind if that dude so if that dude was so uh hurt and damaged that he couldn't even you know put his name down in the draft because of his plantar fasciitis but he's gonna go and golf thousands of holes in his lifetime and claim to be this like elite athlete when he was in high school and college like get the fuck out of here and your your kids are trash like that's the kind of thing that people should be able to talk about and judge at the same time, but we don't. And it's just like, that's how we get these societal, just stagnated. We're fine with, you know, as is we're, we're not talking about that. Cause it's not the promise. Like, no, that is the huge problem. Like if your kids suck, you suck. Like everyone does it too. Like when, when you play little league ball and people are like, God, yeah, Joanne and Terry have a shitty kid. Like he's an, Alex is awful on the field. And Alex is a dick. Did you see him bite that kid? Yeah. Yeah, you judge them then. So, like, why aren't we judging them as adults? Like, if, if you did not raise your children correctly to do the right things, I think that says just as much about you as it does, like, that shitty adult that you just bred. Sure, sure. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that a lot of politics, and I think that's where my kind of, not really sentiment but kind of like my taste on this situation comes from it's just like the american like the politics the political system in america has gotten so far away from you know taking like care of us and taking care of the common people and instead of just focusing more on 
deepening their pockets, increasing their influence, increasing their power, making sure that their the party, you know, is what stays, and the party, you know, is able to further itself. It's just it's like. Well, Eric Trump just got on. Uh, speaking of of again, kids embarrassing their parents. Uh, Eric Trump and his wife just like put out a robocall for like making sure you register for mail-in ballots. After like how many weeks are we dealing with President Trump talking about you know mail-in ballots being his downfall in this next election because it's going to ruin the you know uh, electoral landscape? Like we're fucked. We are so fucked. Yeah. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Shift gears. Anything else? Um, what do you got coming up this week for fitness? I'm on like a, like a, like a bye week recovery week. I don't have fitness during the week. Essentially, I wake up at three thirty in the morning, come home around six o'clock, seven o'clock at night. Uh, so I just d- don't want to do much during the week, and then maybe get like a quick pump in. But this weekend, last two days, I ran like thirty-two miles or something. The last two days, trying to get my. I like, did like eighteen and fourteen. Yeah, did like nineteen and like eleven today or twelve. But uh nice. oh. The wildlife at Fort Lewis. I saw a bear yesterday on my run. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was pretty wild. And I was like, because I was running, and I was like, what the fuck is that? That was like a big-ass, like, black, like, dog or something in the Look woods. that dog. I was like, well, that's a huge dog. And then I was like, oh, wait, that's a fucking bear. It was like 100 meters in front of me. And I was like, nope. Turn around and ran the way, <laughs> ran back the way I came. You didn't and then today, like- I was running. I saw, like, some fox cubs. It's pretty cool. I don't know if they're Dude. maybe fox, but they're like brown. Are fox cubs like brown? Or some kind of canine. So I was like, is this a wolf cub? Are these wolf cubs that I'm running? Do they uh, have wolves up here? Probably. Fo- I bet they're probably probably foxes. I would guess foxes. I don't know. But it's, I, it's catching me out a little bit seeing all this wildlife now. Because I'm just like, ooh, last thing I want is to fucking run and get snatched by like a mountain lion. Oh, dude. I do not want to fuck with, with mountain lions or cougars or any of that kind of stuff like yeah. or bears um dude i on one of my missions uh you know we, there's a lot of assets that that give you like you know situational awareness and someone's like there's like a big ass dog next to the patrol and we're like big ass dog like what and they're like that's a fucking bear like there's a bear that <laughs> we're walking in the middle of the night quiet as fuck going to shut up there's a bear shut shut up there's a fucking bear and you're like oh my god like you forget that wildlife is out there oh yeah uh and i oh, but you know afghanistan had huge dogs too like mm-hmm. and in the south there With were like the packs dogs. of like yeah. yeah like 12 to 20 of them just like running across the countryside and you're like i pray that there's not a human just out there like lollygagging because that dude's dead you, they, those dogs are gonna rip them apart yeah i remember I do remember some of those, like, seeing those, like, Af- like the Afghan dogs are fucking... Hu- I don't know what they're bred with or how they're bred, but they're, like, massive, like... They're huge. They're, like, massive. 150 pounds. Yeah. Like, that's one of those ones where it's, like, uh, I liked our, you know, Belgian Mal, but he's not winning that fight. That yeah. <laughs> that yeah, that Afghan dog is, is just going to put a paw to him and be, like, take like bear. Seat. I remember yeah. seeing those, like, bears. I was, like, holy shit, this dog is a fucking bear dog. Yeah. Oh man. Yo, that sucks that you can't get the get the workouts in during the weeks. Looks like uh looks like you're gonna be that doctor that we talk shit on here in about a year from now. You'll see it. 
The garage gym is actually pretty much done at this point. It is a sick setup. I fucking love the gym. Oh, I'm so the garage. I showed Meg. I was so fucking jealous. I was like, oh, I've got fucking parallel bars, and that's my and a TRX, a TRX doorstop. Oh, sweet. Yeah, yeah, so sweet. Fucking wasting away here. It's great. I love. It is great feeling being able to come home and just work out and like not really like and that I can like do pretty much everything. I've the only thing I don't have is like rings I can do muscle ups on. Besides that, you know, I have a rack, I have a bench, I have a box, I have four hundred pounds of bumpers, I wanna say. Uh yeah, I think like four hundred pounds of bumpers, like dumbbells, kettlebells, pretty much everything you need to do any functional fitness workout. Mine is like a rower, I just don't have a rower yet. I can't wait for my classes to end uh, i've got a final next week and i got my final classes this week so like i have my evenings back where i can like do a small like i haven't lifted weights in a m- over a month month and a half it's just been like straight cardio and just not had time to where i, I have no time it's like i wake up like my weekends now i'm waking up at 4 20 to get my really long uh, brick workout in and my run workouts uh just so like the rest of the day i can catch up on schoolwork and mm-hmm. Uh, work for my internship so yeah it's a good point about like uh, you have to make time for things that are important to you and what you're training for like I'm we get this question all the time again and like I feel like we're a fucking broken record with it if you're training for ranger school do stuff that they do at ranger school body weight lift like whatever some weights get really good at cardio it's like I hate the way my upper body is looking right now, but I'm training for a specific event. So like, what is that trade off? Do I want to suck at the events that I'm going to be doing? Or do I want to like, whatever, my focus has to be cardio today, because that's exactly what I've signed up for. It's like you, it's like, if you're going to go run an ultra, and you have an opportunity to do one workout in that day, you're not gonna be like, Oh, you know what, I really think bodybuilding is going to be a good fucking trade off for me today. Like, nobody thinks like that, like be mature. I do. I although I will say I do. We'll just lift weights some days. Uh, God damn it! God it. damn it, Bobby! I started. I started hating how I looked uh, just by running. I was like skinny. I had no like muscle de- definition. Like my traps are gone. My arms are gone. It's yeah, back I'm, now. I'm like two oh eight to two ten, from like being around two twenty two twenty five, and like my legs are thinner. My arms are. Nah. Yeah, my le- I got my called legs. an animal today. Speaking of which, I got called an animal today. Um, like middle of the morning, it was five twenty, and uh, there's only two bikers in in Central Park, and like they're coming at me, and like I'm waiting to cut behind them to get on the the running portion of the trip, and uh, the guy flies by. The woman that he's with is going like incredibly slow, but. As soon as she's passing, I literally just draft in behind her. And as I'm getting closer, she like throws up her hand and she's like, like, don't get so close to me. And I like naturally was not even thinking because I'm like five minutes into my run. I just went like, fuck off, <laughs> dude, <laughs> she freaked out, freaked out, like turned around, was like, you're a douchebag fuck you oh my god and then she's screaming up to her husband he told me to fuck myself i'm like wait i didn't say that like 
I just had to fuck off. Like, <laughs> I, I, I promise you I would not have taken, like, I'll take it to a next level. Like, I'm going to win whatever verbal diarrhea contest we're going to have. But I wouldn't start there. That's where, like, maybe the next one would go. Right, right, right. And she's turning around and be like, you're disgusting. Like, how dare you? And then she ended it with, you're an animal. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> thanks. Like, I, I thought you were saying animal in a good sense. Like, you're an animal. Yeah. Like, oh, no, no, tra- no. Like, no. drafting bad, behind Bad her. sense. Bad sense. Like, you're an animal in the bad sense. But I took it as the good way. Like, that. thank you. Like, if she really wanted to get under my skin, she could have been like, you skinny bitch. I would have been like, I would have been done. I would have right. just unlaced the shoes and walked home but she called me an animal dude i felt good for like an hour and 10 minutes after that point i was like i'm an animal yeah <laughs> watch out animal coming through nice. big dog all right i guess we'll uh, start wrapping it up then with that uh story um any closing comments or announcements uh no no hit us up next week for you know topics that you want to hear on here if uh you want me to like describe what uh, might be coming next down the pipeline uh, for the next batch of programming when gyms are opening back up? Uh, we can talk about that. Um, products and swag coming your way. We got a ton of orders to to handle. That's been it's been great uh, response. So pump at that. But yeah, that's about all I got. Yeah, I will say that we have now dropped some new apparel uh, and stickers for the uh, Logo 2.0. Uh, we have honestly, we have re- completely changed up our entire distribution model. We're actually, I'm actually warehousing stuff here at the house, and then uh, we're going to ship directly from the house. So we're going to kind of pass the savings on you guys because the Printful model or the model that we were using. Uh, was very expensive and cost prohibitive. So if you notice, shirts are now five dollars cheaper, um, and everything else is pretty much normal. I think actually we'll probably have much faster uh, turnarounds since we actually have inventory on hand. So you can probably expect uh, to get uh, your order within like a week of actual ordering versus like printful, which was like two or three weeks or whatever, however long it was. Uh, we're gonna try and start getting some more um, swag in the store. Um, we're looking at doing some aluminum cups, maybe some flags, some more different types of stickers. So just stay tuned, um, and we will uh, get stuff into the store and let you guys know as we get going. Well, yeah. All right, man. I will see you uh, next week and catch up with you in, a, in text here. Absolutely. I'll catch you guys next week. Peace. Later.